We started this series last week called uh, Now or Never, and um, is that thunder? Yes. So I like, I like weather. Nicole told me it was going to snow. I said, you're just trying to make me happy. And she said no. But um, yes, uh, now or never. We talked about this last week, and, and I will just reiterate that the idea of a time talking about this topic is not to scare anybody or make you anxious. It's really to, for us all to be prepared. I heard this in a funeral years ago, and I, I don't use it in every funeral, but I use it in a lot of funerals because it's, it's very poignant. And, and it has often been said that a um, sign of insanity is to do the same thing yet expect a different result. And this, this pastor I heard lead this funeral said, he said, let me give you another, another sign of insanity. That's when you fail to plan for what you know is inevitable. And it's poignant in a funeral, of course, because you're, you're dealing face on, head on with, with the the eventual end of everybody is death. I mean, we are all going to pass from this life into the next unless, unless Christ comes and we all meet him in the air, which is awesome. But for, for the rest of us, it's eminent. So in a funeral, it's, it's a good time to say, don't be crazy. Plan for the future. Plan for your eternity, you know, because we're, we're here to deal with that. But it is a major issue, and I think the problem is we, we may... We may intellectually realize and admit to the fact that we know we're not going to live forever, but then practically we live like we're going to live forever, forever. And we act as if that's never going to happen to us, but it will. It is part of how it goes. And I said last week, the death rate continues to be 100%. And until that changes, yeah, that's going to change. Never going to change. Well, I did this to my young people one day. We used to do this event. We'd call it uh, Destination Unknown. And what I would do is I would announce ahead of time what they had to bring and and they learned really quickly that what I told them to bring really often had little to do with what we were doing that day. It was usually just to throw them off. But, you know, often I would tell them how much money to bring, and that might be something that they would need that we'd buy, and then we'd load everybody up and buses and vans and whatever it took, and we'd go somewhere. So um, one day what I did is I loaded them all up, and I'd prearranged this with um, a really cool cemetery we had at, at, in town. And we went, and I just drove them right to the middle of the cemetery. And we had this designated area that they could go. And I gave them very strict instructions about where they could step. And so no one was disrespectful or anything. But it was, I, later I got some complaints from parents because some of these kids were really terrified about being in the cemetery. But that's not why I did it. I did it because I wanted them to take a look at a tombstone. And it wasn't this one. This is just an example of one. But I wanted them to take a look. And I wanted them to look specifically at a name, a date, and a dash, and a date. And this is an old one, obviously, 1762 to 1837. I was looking at this, and I was thinking, my goodness, this thing is very well preserved. I don't know if it was under a tree the whole time or what, but that is an old tombstone. And I was kind of doing the math a little bit. It looked like, you know, they, they all lived in, you know, a decent life except for the son there. And um, so this is what I did with them and what I want to do with you. It's kind of it's kind of sad in a way. You know, people live their entire life, and we put a tombstone up like that. And then their entire life is pretty much defined in that little dash. There's no details, though. You know those people lived a life. I mean, they, they had jobs. They had a community. They had family. They did things. They went places. They achieved things. But then, for the most of, you know, memory, it's just all right there. And there's there's nothing you know. I mean, you, you can see who they were married to, and you see their kids, which is nice on that one, but that's it. What strikes me about it, too, probably more than anything else, is most of what's on that tombstone, they didn't really have a lot of control over. 
Think about John and Mary, their husband and wife, in the 1700s. You know, they um, had no control over when they were born, right? None of us do. You're born. They had no control over where they were born. They had no control over who their parents were. They had no control over their death. And certainly in this time period, they, babies, babies came when they came. That's basically what happened. And then their son, Jonathan, he didn't have any control over those things either. And Sally didn't have any control over those things. But the one thing they did have control over is the least conspicuous thing on that whole tombstone. And that's the dash. <laughs> the dash. The dash is the only thing you have any control over. But what's great about it is you have total control over it. Now, when I say total, that might be a little exaggeration because there's certainly things that will go on in your life and happen to you you don't have any control over, but you do have vast control over the dash. The other things you don't, I mean, you can't change your, you can't change your, I almost said genealogy and gender and stuff, but then I thought, well, I guess maybe you can, I don't know. Um, No, you can't. But anyway, you can't change any of that, but I heard it said this way, you don't have even, most of us will never even have any control over how or when we die But what you do have control over is how you live. So live well. Live well. You can live well. And that's the whole point of tonight. It's the whole point of this series is for you to live well. It's so easy to spend our life on things that don't matter. And at the end of life, look back and that dash can have so much in it or have so little in it. And it has so much to do with you and me and what we choose to do with it. The scripture for this series is Psalm 39, 4 to 5. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. And at best, each of us is but a breath. At the end of people's life, as I mentioned last week... One of the um, interesting things about being a minister is we spend a lot of time with people at some at these crucial moments of life, the beginning of life, the end of life. I may have I think I mentioned this in I don't know if it was a Wednesday or Sunday night. There was one day where I was literally with somebody who had just had a baby, brand new baby. And then an hour later, I was at a bedside when a man went went to glory. That was surreal. I remember driving away thinking, I don't know if that'll ever happen to me again anyway, in the beginning and then the end of someone's life. So with that, though, something I've noticed is at the end of life, when people are kind of taking stock of things, I've never heard one say, man, I wish I could have worked a few more hours. I've never heard somebody say, if I could have just earned this much or it wasn't about that, it always ends up being about people. They want to know about relationships. They want to talk about people. And I know when, you know, I, I had a near-death experience with my, my accident and losing my foot and all that. That was what mattered to me. I wanted to talk to people. There were people I needed to mend things with. And specifically, I think about a relationship with my sister that had been strained over some things that had happened, she, decisions she had made, some things that were said. And um, I wanted to reconcile that. We want to do that at those times. Time is... You may have heard time is money. We've all heard that statement, right? Time is money. And for most of us, really, if you think about it, time is a commodity. And I came across this little saying 
I don't know if you can read it that well, but it says, time is free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can use it. You can't keep it, but you can spend it. And once you lost it, you can never get it back. It is a commodity, though. We spend it. And we even use that phraseology a lot, like, hey, would you spend some time with me? And it is something that you're spending because you choose to spend it and you could spend it somewhere else. It's something that, it's not like we hold it in our pocket, but we actually do something with that time. And it's, if you choose to put it in one place, you're choosing not to put it in someplace else. Something I heard um, this week, and I know it's a, it was said politically, but somebody said, um, that's not our value system in reference you know, to things that might be done you know, in reference to these terrorist attacks. And I started thinking about that and thinking about how you know, people talk about discrimination, but we discriminate all the time. You, you discriminate and you make a choice against something when you choose something. I discriminated against all women when I married my wife. You see what I mean? I discriminate every day. I discriminate in my food choices every day. I did it tonight. I discriminated against that taco. I did. And I chose that. And we do that with time. You spend it. And if I were to ask you to write your priorities, in fact, let me do this. If I were just to say to you, don't write them down, just in your mind, you know, just think rhetorically, what are your priorities? What are the big things that matter to you? What would you say? I would venture to say, because most people put at the top of that list relationships. Most of them end up there. And most people, even if they put their job first and you said, well, what about your family or relationships? They say, oh, yeah, 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 of course. That goes above it. <laughs> and then I read this quote uh, recently. It just said, you can tell me what your priorities were, are, but if, you sh- if I look at your calendar, that'll really tell me what they are. And then I've heard the same type of concept if you look at your bank account. And I would like to in- interject there your time account. As if you could spend time and you had an account of it, because we all do. As I said last week, we all get the same amount of time every day. The difference is in how you spend it. And if I were to look at how you spend it, then that would really tell me what your priorities are. Now, having said that, I'm not encouraging anybody to be a workaholic at all, because I think there's important place for leisure. And and it was funny, someone was talking about a nap, I think. Was it, Wilma, were you and I talking about, for some reason, naps or something? Anyway, here's the thing. She said, <laughs> her husband said she slept since then. But <clears throat> I, I read this not too long ago from a productivity expert, and they actually recommend everybody taking like a power nap time every day. And he had all of this rationale about why it was important and how it rejuvenates you and freshens your mind, and you can actually be more productive and more focused. And I thought, man, I still just see, still it just, it goes against, you know, everything I think. And it, I, I don't know. So if that's how you're using your time, I'm not saying, I don't want to devalue that in any way. Because that's not really the point. The point is this, time is something you spend. So spend it wisely. Your life is actually, I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, uh, you know, be careful of time because that's what life's made of. Your time is your life. And how you spend it makes a difference. Spend it wisely. Speaking of funerals and uh, people passing, and um, I was Pastor Kevin, we worked together at Sheffield. He was a middle school pastor, and I was a youth pastor over the, the youth program for many years. And he's speaking up in the youth tonight. He was here tonight. 
and um, he, he, uh, he just happened to mention to me, wow, it's kind of weird at Sheffield. We're having like three to five funerals a week. This kind of weird, like a three, four week span. And I was telling him that we, we kind of had a weird stretch like that. And what, what it reminded me of just a little bit is, you know how it is when you go to a funeral. And I, I sit down and plan funerals with people and, and I kind of lay out, here's kind of the structure typically of a funeral. I mean, basically there's no, there's no requirements. You, you do what you want to do, but here's how it's typically done. And in most funerals, we try to open up a time for people to share memories or positive things or, or things that, that uh, memories of the person. Remember my uncle's funeral. I have, one of my uncles was a, he, he was just always a model to me. And he was somebody who um, was so well loved. He had been, uh, he had been a Green Beret in Vietnam and then he came back and he played or he was drafted by the 49ers. And I mean, all these great things, you know, as a kid, he was just like the most incredible dude I'd ever heard of. You know, I remember as a child, he picked us, my sister and I both up in both hands and would just hold us and talk. He was just a beast. I remember one time I was working, I was, I drove up, surprised him and he was working on the car and I watched him. He, he was trying to get this lug nut off and I watched him bend a tire iron. He just, he just, and the whole thing bent. And the car's jerking up. You're like, oh my goodness. But that wasn't who he was. I mean, that was what was cool when you're a high school kid, you know. Here's what's cool. I, I spent a few days with him um, one time. And I, I went with him at the time he was working. He had a, a restaurant that he owned. And then he also sold bread in the morning. So he would go and do a bread run, you know, like at 3 a.m. So I did his bread run with him. And um, everywhere we went, it was, hey, Jerry, how are you doing? You know, it's conversations everywhere. Literally everywhere we went in town, it didn't matter if we were at the bank, at the grocery store, everywhere we went. And then when he passed away, Nicole, we were at the funeral, and um, person at the line at the microphones, everybody had a story about Jerry. I mean, it was, I'm trying not to get emotional here. Jerry led me to the Lord right there. He shared the plan of salvation with me. He prayed for me right there. He met me at the corner, and I was having a hard time, and he talked to me, and it helped me, and it was unbelievable. I remember just sitting there thinking, I want my funeral to be like that, you know? It's about people. And then I got to thinking, just over these last few weeks, I was just thinking, how often is it that people like that have that kind of influence on us, and they, they say things and do things that impact our lives in a huge way, and Maybe something that happened was really meaningful. And, you know, a lot of times we'll write a card when someone passes, maybe to the family or, or maybe something on the card, you know, with the flowers. And, and um, I, you know, what bothers me is, is especially when something like that happens and I think, I wonder, I wonder if they knew we felt like that. You ever wonder that? Like, the, you've probably seen a movie or heard about somebody, you know, attending their own funeral you know, and then they get to hear all those things. And then they're embarrassed to, hey, wait, I, I'm not dead, you know, because now everybody's like, oh, you, you know, but here's the thing. Wouldn't it be cool if we did that now? I mean, do we have to wait to send flowers? I mean, they don't even know. I mean, they're in the casket and don't even hear it. I mean, they, they're in glory and they're, they're oblivious to all that. And here we are on earth saying, he changed my life. And when she said this, and when she did this for me, it was it was the most amazing thing, and it encouraged me so much. It changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. And my question is sometimes, why wait? Why do we wait? Why do we wait? I'm not asking for flowers. I don't want any flowers. 
What I'm saying is there are people in your life who need to hear from you. And I encouraged you to do that at, at the end of the sermon last week. But I, I just want to say it like this. I just feel more impressed than ever. You know, we only have this one life. This is it. It's not like a, it's not like a movie you know, preview or trailer. And it's not like, it's not like you get a do-over. It's not, like, it's not like the end of this trial run, we get to try again. It really, really, really doesn't work like this. This is it. Make the best of it now. And what I mean by that is, I'm not really talking about going and making a million dollars. What I'm talking about is letting other people around you know what they've done for you now. Because you only get this one chance. Let me ask it another way. Not, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, and I know I said that last week, but if the world did end today, or if your world ended today, would you be proud of your relational life? I know it's kind of a big word that we don't use very often, but if, let me say it this way. If we were at your funeral today, okay, and someone was going to go to the microphone, they're probably going to sum up your life in, in like, you know, just a statement, right? Which seems, it's not fair, really, if you think about it, right? I mean, it's just not. I mean, Don Andrahitis, your life is a lot longer than one statement, but people are going to go to the mic and they're going to they're summarize. What would they say? What would you want them to say? You can affect what they're going to say because you can live a life right now that would give them something to say like that. You can, you can, you can totally affect that. I want the dash to matter. That's what I'm saying, I guess. I want that dash to matter. And, you know, a lot of times... Time, we, we, it's an illusion. I mean, forever is an illusion. We talked about last week, tomorrow is an illusion. Really, time is now, and we, we have today to spend, and tomorrow's not promised, and it's limited. Let me give you another example. As a young parent, every time someone has kids, and I've even said this, but I remember I couldn't even count how many times people have told me, you know, when our kids were young, enjoy it, right? Because what? It's not going to last. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you said that? I mean, there was a point in my life where we were hearing it so often, I thought, I'm not going to ever tell anybody that. But you have to tell them. You warn them because you've seen that slip through your fingers like sand, and once it's gone, you can't get it back. And especially when people are in the middle of difficult kid years, you say, enjoy it, though, because it won't last, Right? I was talking with our youngest about this the other day, and I, I don't remember where I heard this or even if I've, I've shared it here before, but there's, the truth is that you, you have those moments that you do as a, with a, as a parent with children, and then you never know and you never think about the fact that one of those moments is going to be the last time. And I think that's why grandparenting is so cool for people because they get to do a lot of do-overs on that stuff. But I'll tell you, I was talking with my daughter, Lily, and she used to always ask me to tell her the three little pigs story. And I would do voices and make up sounds. And, and she wanted it every time, that story. And I was cool with that. But you know what's sad? I was talking to her about this, and I don't remember the last time. It's been so long now. And the, the last time, I didn't know it was going to be the last time when it was the last time. But it's, it was the last time. And then she's so cute. She's like, well, you can tell me now. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's not the same, but okay, you know, we could do it right now, I guess. But I, I mean, we didn't do it, but you know, it's, it, it was the last time. The last time I pushed him on the swings, 
I, I, don't, I don't even remember when it was. But it, it happened, and it was over, and it was the last time. You know, the last time you try to get their pajamas on, and, and uh, when Nicole and I visited Victoria and Aiden and, and met their new little baby, and he was, he was trying to get uh, like a little sleeper on that little squirmy baby, and the baby's crying because it didn't, you know, it was cold. You know how little brand new babies are, and, and uh, he was probably a little sticky and trying to get that, and I was trying to help him, and I thought, I haven't done this. I, I don't even remember the last time I was trying to get a little hand through a sleeper. Or you wipe their diaper, right? You know? And there's a last time. And with all that, I, I, what I'm challenging us to do is to not only appreciate those times, but to live them well, to make the most of them, enjoy every moment and live it to its fullest. And with that said, let me just say this, and I'm not being critical of any of your choices necessarily. I want you to be self-critical of those things. But I feel like I heard this statement, and I, it, it really, it, it, it's haunting. It says, we're raising kids who are experience-rich but relationship-poor. You know, we, we've made a choice, and part of it's financial, but part of it's time. We just told our kids, sorry, you're not going to play every sport, all of you, with three. We moved to Minnesota, um, you know, Minnesota has its own culture. It's different than, you know, California, different than Missouri. And in California, I think every single child plays Little League and soccer now. That's just a given. But in Minnesota, it's hockey and all those things. And it was so weird, too. Like, when we first moved there, I noticed, started noticing in all the parks, every local park, there's a basketball court, of course, but the basketball court was surrounded by a raised some kind of barrier like that high. It could be cement, it could be wood, but they all had it. And I thought, well, that's weird. What is that for? You know, like roller skating? or No, it's because every winter they just turn the hose in there. Every city does it, every park. And it's a skate, skate rink for everybody. I mean, that's, that's Minnesota. So we moved there and, um, you know, I had a middle school group and a high school group. In our middle school group, we put this band together and we had this kid show up and he, he, he wanted to play bass and he was, he was really a natural talent. And um, we're trying to schedule a practice, and he's like, oh, I can't do it then. I got hockey. I said, okay, well, how about here? Ah, I got hockey. How much, how much hockey could you possibly have? He goes, oh, I'm on three teams. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? You're on what? Three teams. You know, and I, I looked at him, and, you know, he, he, was, a, he was a good-sized kid. You know, I said, are you, are you any good? He goes, yeah, I'm pretty good. Like, how good? I mean, like college good? He goes, ah, probably not. Yeah, I got, there's, he goes, this is Minnesota. I mean, there's kids who, I'm like, okay, well, okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, here I am, I'm talking to a kid who's probably, you know, he's, he's, he's probably 13. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what's more important for you right now? I mean, are you going to, you know what I mean? Spend your time. And I talked to his parents, and I was just trying to, just to kind of feel them out. And like, and I'm saying, well, how much time do you spend running the kids around? And she's like, oh, I'm a taxi service. That's all I really do. And I never heard this statement before about being experience rich but relationship poor. But let me just tell you this. All of that comes from good intentions. I know we want our kids to have opportunities we didn't have. And, and talking to his dad, his dad had played hockey growing up. But if his kid had any shot at being, you know, a, a real hockey player, you know, he wanted him to have that opportunity. 
So he had the best stuff. No lie, his name was Cooper. That's like a hockey brand, equipment brand. <laughs> no lie, his name's Cooper. But okay. Um, but here's the thing. Re- relationships matter more. And when I think about the time invested in those things, yeah, those experiences were good, but I remember once his parents came to me and they said, we're kind of at a crossroads because Cooper wants to be super involved in church, but he can't really do that if he's going to maintain his level in hockey. And it, as we're talking, I just said, well, what, what do you want to be more of an influence in his life? Tell me about his hockey coaches. Are they people you want him to be like? Are, are they giving him life lessons that are going to carry him through? Are they, I mean, what, what are, what's he getting? Tell me, you know, help me understand the dilemma. And it was, they just said, you know what? You make a good point. And that was the change for them. And as I think about people who I've talked to and, you know, who are struggling in life, I've never had one of them say, you know what I'm really struggling with and why I'm not happy today? It's because I didn't get on that traveling volleyball team. They never say that. You know what they say? I feel like my dad was never emotionally present for me, or I, I, I never even knew him, or I felt abandoned, or I, it's always relationships. It's not the things. Experiences are good. I don't, but I think the key is that those experiences are based in making memories and relationships with our families, and, and hockey can be that. It really can. I mean, it's a lifestyle. It's a family event. They go, and that's their culture, and that's their relationships, and they all travel together. There's, there is good things in that, but there's a difference. You have to make those choices. The bottom line is it, it's all about those relationships and what you're investing in. With that, let me encourage you on something else, and that is to use your words. We're all impacted by words. I really believe that there's something to be said. You know, in the Bible, it talks about blessing and cursing. And, and I think a lot of what, what Scripture means by that is when we tell people good things and we put things in their hearts and minds, a lot of times people live up or down to what they hear, especially young people and children. I can't tell you how many young people I've talked to who their greatest fear is you know, their, their mom or dad has said, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. You're lazy. You're this, you're this. And all those are curses. On the other hand, we can bless them. Proverbs says it this way, that, that the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And the thing is, a lot of times we don't, we don't use the power that we have to encourage and to, to tell people what we think when we can, you know. Once, once they've passed away and you come and share the memories, great, let's do that. But do it before. Tell them how much they mean to you now and how much they've influenced you now and what, what their influence has been on you and the things that they've done that have, that have encouraged you. I love Ephesians. Paul puts it this way. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I think we slip into these patterns where we just, we say certain things to certain people and it just rolls off our tongue and we never take the risk to get into real relationship. I've actually talked to people and they, they tell me, I had a guy tell me once, he goes, he goes, let me tell you the secret to being effective you know, and, and, and having people like you. And I said, oh, okay, and what's your secret? He says, well, here's what I do. I find out something somebody's interested in. So whatever it is, like, you know, Frank, I mean, I know Frank was in the Navy. So Frank, 
and, and that's not your most interested thing about you, but Frank, you know, it's going to be the Navy. Let's say that, okay? And I know Jonathan, uh, not electrician, what do you, you're HVAC, right? Got the HVAC thing going, you know, there. And, um, and, and then we got the Army over here, right? So Michael, and Marines, we could go there too. So he says, this is what I do. If I see people, I just think I just got to bring up one thing about that they're interested in. So I'm just trying to think, okay, what do I, what can I say about, and so he does that. Like, oh, okay, but you don't really know them. You're not finding out what they're talking about or interested in or cared about. I mean, that's so superficial, but it does keep a very superficial conversation going. But we do the same thing. I mean, how many times have I had this kind of a conversation with somebody recently where I called them up and and I said, um, hey, how are you doing? I haven't haven't seen you in a while. And they said, oh, I'm doing good. And I said, how's the job going? And they're like, "Uh, it's going good. Okay. Um, And I'm like, I don't have anything else to talk about. Um, okay, um, anything else going on? And they're like, no, not really. Okay. And they're like, thanks for calling. Okay. And I thought, oh, that was the worst failure. You know, I mean, we call, we talked, but we didn't really talk. You know, and there's times where uh, you might think of this example. You know, I could hear people doing this where they'll call, like, call your dad, you know. And, dad, how's it going? Good. It's going good. How's mom? Good. Uh, okay. Um, the garden? Good. How, what's the weather like there? It's hot. Oh, Okay, all right, well, nice talking. I'll call you next week, you know, and we do that, right? And we slip into those kind of conversations even with, with our loved ones. You know, you come home, you talk about work a little bit, talk about the kids a little bit. You... Here's the thing. I think all of us, what we de- desperately need and want is we want, we want relationship that's meaningful. We want to be known and heard, and we want people to know who we are. But for that to really happen, it takes some vulnerability and some curiosity it's almost like we have to be working together on this. Have you ever noticed this? Now, the vulnerability part means that you're going to open up and share something maybe important, maybe a care, maybe a concern, maybe a fear, maybe a worry, something. Have you ever been around somebody who just overshares that? And you're like, hey, we're not to that level yet. <laughs> okay, well, anyway. But there needs to be a little curiosity on the other side. I mean, someone's got to be curious about it and care and say, oh, okay. And I'm What's sad is this is true even in our personal relationships, this has to be the case. Because we could be very well walking around with cares and concerns and feel like it's not being listened to or heard or whatever. I've noticed this in conversation. Sometimes people, um, people kind of put up a flare and they, they'll kind of test you and they'll tell you something and then they're waiting to see how you respond. If you really care and if you're going to go a little further or not, or if you're going to say, oh, okay, uh-huh. well, I'll pray for you. And then conversation over. I, I'm trying to scratch a little bit in places where hopefully this will get you a little deeper so there's more in that dash in your life. And I really believe that the answer to being fulfilled in that dash between the birth and the death is to have these relationships for them to matter. Last week at the end of the sermon, I asked you to do something. I asked you to, you know, text somebody who, who's been important to you. But let me ask you this, two questions for you. Who, who is it that maybe God has placed in your life? Or When I say that, someone significant in your life. And then let me ask you this. What is it that they might need to hear from you? And I'm going to give you some suggestions. And I'm going to trust God to put something in your mind right now. And Because and, uh, I know he works this way. I'll bet you that there's somebody who you know who really could use this from you. They could, it would be really helpful and 
for them to hear this. They need to hear you say, I love you, or maybe I'm sorry, maybe I miss you, maybe I was wrong, maybe I believe in you, maybe I need you, maybe they need some encouragement or apology or for you to share a memory. Now, here's the problem with all that. That would take vulnerability, wouldn't it? Because you're putting yourself out there and it could be a risk. And I know it's not natural for everybody. I know we all are different that way. And I know that, you know, it, some of it has to do with our family of origin. And maybe we didn't talk like that or you didn't hear talk like that. I'm always amazed when I talk to somebody and they'll say something like, I never heard my dad or mom say that they love me. And that's just hard to imagine for me because I didn't grow up that way. But a lot of people do. And if you grew up that way, it doesn't have to continue to be that way for you. So I'm going to ask you to do something right now that I know is going to step out of a comfort zone for somebody, but I want you to, everybody to take your cell phone out real quick. <laughs> and shine your light on me. That's what I, <laughs> thank you, Cody. <laughs> no, don't, I don't need that. Um, <laughs> I have been to some concerts though, where they do that. It's way cooler than the, the lighter thing, you know, because phones are everywhere, but okay, do that. That person you were thinking of a minute ago, I'm just going to ask you to do this. I want you to just write them a quick text right now. I want you to do it now because I know how it is. You know, you might get busy or forget and think, oh, I should do that. Oh, I might. I don't want you to put a lot of thought in it to just, just reach out and tell them something. And I know it's a risk. And I know what's going to happen in the next few minutes is you're going to be watching your phone because you're going to think, are they going to write back? Are they going to say something? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to be okay if you don't get a response. And here's why. Because what I'm asking you to do is, is say something to somebody that's meaningful regardless of whether or not they say it back. You're not saying it to get a response. You know how we do that sometimes? We say something because we're hoping for something back. And it's not bad to get something back or hope. But I, I want you just to say something that they need to hear just because they need to hear it. I'll give you a minute to do that. I only have one really main point left and. I want to tell you something else I've noticed in working with people near the end of life. It seems like they're more open to resolving grudges and resolving issues they may have had with somebody. It's almost like, it's almost like they weigh everything out and they say, you know what? Now that I'm here, the weight of being where I'm at right now in life, I realize all the rest of that, I'm willing to drop it. I'm willing to let it go because where I am now, I realize it doesn't really matter. Let me, let me posit something with you for a minute. What if, what if we didn't wait till then to do that measuring? Wouldn't that be cool? So I'm going to ask you to do something else. I want everybody to shut your eyes. If you're still texting, that's okay. But I want you to shut your eyes. And I want you to visualize a person that you've had conflict with or tension with maybe a, a legit grievance. Are right, you can open your eyes. Yeah, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm kind of tricking you. It's not really, I don't really want to talk about that person. What I want to do is talk about you. Because whatever it is you have there with that person, I want to help you let, let go of your part of that for you. It's almost like a gift to you if I could give it to you. 
Because the truth is in life, we can't, you can't change other people or change what they think or feel. Really, the only person you have that power over is you. That's it. So even though you were thinking of that person, what I want you to do right now is think of you for just a minute. And I, I, I want you to try to do this. I, I believe this. I believe that if you don't learn to transform that pain, then you're going to transfer that pain. Whatever it is with this person, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even saying it's not legitimate or you shouldn't feel this way. I'm not even, that's not even the point. My point is that most of the time we carry around these things and it hurts us. I heard this say not too long ago, grudge collectors, and I just laughed out loud because some people are like that. Have you noticed that? And you think, why is that? It's almost as if they just have a bag full of them and they remember every little thing that goes wrong and but you said this, and you were going to do this, and you promised this, and at some point, your load would be so much lighter if you could just drop that stuff. And if it's true that at the end of your life, you're willing to give up some of that, wouldn't it be awesome if you could do it now? See, God said, you should do it now. I'm not condoning any of their behavior, excusing it, or tolerating it, or any of that. I'm not even talking about reconciliation because in some cases reconciliation isn't possible. Either the person's not willing to do that or you're not in a position or the person's even gone. I've, I've talked to so many people that the person they have issues with is gone. There's nothing they can do to fix it. But they're still carrying it around. I think what it is I'm asking you to do is give up your right to hurt them back. Or give up your right for, for fairness or justice. You know what that's called? It's grace. It's grace. Because that person doesn't deserve it. You're doing it because you want to be free because you've been freed. I've heard these things too. To forgive is really to free yourself. Um, and a lot of times forgiveness helps you because you've been letting that person live rent-free in your mind. Have you ever heard that one? You're letting them live rent-free in your mind. A lot of times they're unaware of how much it bothers you, and, and they don't even know, and you're letting them camp out in there. Someone said this, that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You're the one who pays. And why wait till the end of life to take care of that? We could do it right now. Dave, would you put some music on? I want you to shut your eyes for a second. I'm just going to ask you a series of rhetorical questions. And what I want you to do is think about these things and let the Holy Spirit tell you what you need to do. As I said earlier, I'm not judging your choices, how you spend your time, how you and your family does your memories. I'm not. And if you are on three hockey teams, I would love to see you play. What I'm talking about is you evaluating that between you and God. What I'm talking about is the only part of that, that tombstone that we can affect at all is the dash. So do it well, live it well, live it to the depth, the deepest deep and the highest high. Whatever you can, make every memory you can count. Don't forget that you enjoy every minute with your kids because it'll end soon and all of that. All of that's true. So with everybody's eyes closed just for a minute, let me ask you a question. Who do you need to forgive? What grudges are you carrying around that you really just need to let go of and live free? 
you will enjoy your life more if you let those go. And if you need help with that, I know someone who can help. I know a healer who heals when we don't deserve it. I know someone who forgives completely and doesn't remember our sin. I know somebody who can guard your heart and mind after you've asked him to. And and the peace he gives goes beyond understanding. It doesn't even make sense. I know somebody like that. Father, I pray for these, for us, all of us in this room tonight. God, I pray with all my heart that you would free us of carrying those grudges. God, that you would help us to live fully right now. Father, that we would, we would live to the greatest. Father, that we would spend our time on what matters now. God, I want at the end of our lives to look back and enjoy memory after memory after memory with loved one after loved one after loved one, carrying nothing, holding nothing back, carrying no grudges, no hurts. Pray you would do that in us tonight. Heal us tonight, God. Guard our heart and mind. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I invite you to pray. You're free to pray or go whatever, whatever you feel called to do.